Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, we're on the phone with Glenn Peterson talking about a really unique topic that he brought up for us to discuss, which is how do you bowhunt a rifle lease? And what is it like to be the only bowhunter out of 10 gun hunters? And how do you hunt that property? And how do you find the balance between everybody and still find success? So that's going to be a good episode for us. You know, before we get started, I definitely want to give a big shout out to the two sponsors of the podcast, Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. They're the only taxidermist that's made it easier for you to bring your deer back into Louisiana without having to cape it out. All you've got to do is drop it off at Ty's Taxidermy in Vider, Texas. If you're coming in eastbound I-10 out of Texas, drop it off right before you hit the border, and they'll take it over from there. You pick up your deer a couple of months later. Could not be easier than that. And secondly, Cousin Smokehouse, they are the creators of the original pork jerky with two flavors, Cane Fire, which is a little sweet and a little hot and will definitely keep you warm in the deer stand late season, and also their traditional flavor, which is a hit for everybody that tries it. So if you're in an archery shop or a gas station or a grocery store and you see that, make sure you grab a bag, support a local company, get a great product, and keep this in your hunting bag this year. You're going to love it. So let's get on to this week's episode. All right, guys, today we're on the phone with Glenn Peterson, um, and he has made a special trip out of the deer camp to go find cell service to do this podcast with us today. Uh, Glenn, thanks for being on this week's show. Thanks for including me in it. I'm, it's an honor. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I'm looking forward to some people learning some stuff from you. Um, you know, we had talked 
earlier today for the first time. Uh, actually, <laughs> I'll say this. I, 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 first time I talked to you today, I apologize because your phone number is, you said you've had it since the beginning of phones, that it yep. is it is such a generic number that I was positive that the other two times you called me this week that it was a telemarketer trying to give me an extended warranty on my car or tell me that open enrollment was about to end. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I get, that, I get that a lot with my number. When I, I saw do. your phone number, I was like, that's not real. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> this is not a real phone call. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, I think my mailbox is full and I just never called you back. So I, I, I'm, I apologize, uh, officially, but, um, you know, I'm glad we we were able to connect, but when we were on the phone and getting to know each other a little bit, you gave me an idea for a podcast that we're obviously going to talk about this today that I, I wish I thought of it sooner. Uh, it probably would have been an excellent episode earlier in the season, but we're going to talk about how to bow hunt a rifle only lease. Or I guess another way you could look at it is what it's like to be the only bow hunter in deer camp, right? Uh, and, and how you essentially cope with that and find success during deer season. So, um, you know, you say you've also got uh, a couple of stories. You've been bow hunting for how long have you been bow hunting only? I guess I've been bow hunting only for, for over 20 years, probably closer to 25. And so you hadn't um, killed a deer with a gun in 25 years. I have not. I actually honestly do not even own a deer rifle. Really? That's awesome. I have, um, I have, I have probably five or six different shotguns that I turkey hunt with. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to deer hunting, I, I just, for me, and, and it's not an ego thing. It's not, uh, I don't care whomever wants to gun hunt. For me, I, I am a archery fanatic and I just love bow hunting. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree. And, and it, for, for me, I just, you know, I'm 52 years old. I want to bow hunt as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Now, there may come a day when I get older that I can't draw a bow anymore. Um, and I'll have to go back to gun hunting. And I have a young son that's uh, that's five years old. I actually also have a 26 year old son that's that he's the same as I am. He both yeah. hunts exclusively, uh, but he's not into it like I am. He, he'll you know he makes five or six hunts a year, and once he gets him a deer or two, he's done. He yeah, yeah. Other things. But but anyway, he he does love the bow hunt. He's got the archery bug like I do. Uh, and it's not for everybody. But what I want to I don't want to sound egotistical and say hey you know I'm, I'm a bow hunter and you know that's the only way you should do it I, i'm not i'm not that guy mm-hmm. uh, but i just i just love archery you know, i like archery in general you know i like to shoot archery tournaments um and for me uh it's not that i don't get a thrill out of shooting a uh, white-tailed deer with a gun but i get more of a thrill with a bow and i feel yeah. more accomplished but especially this time of year during gun season I feel like uh, you really accomplish something if you shot, if you kill a, especially a mature buck <clears throat> during gun season with the archery equipment when everybody else around you is, you know, hunting with firearms. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I think on the very first episode we did, which is I, I, unbelievably almost 25 episodes ago, um, I, I, I had said that it wasn't so much that I loved archery or bow hunting. It was more... I got into this by default because I clarified to myself that gun hunting just didn't do anything for me. Um, and you know, it was interesting to hear 
you know, somebody else's perspective on that. Warren Womack, the last episode we did with him two weeks ago, uh, I asked him, I said, do you get as shook up with a gun as you do with a bow? And he goes, oh, absolutely. I don't care if they're 100 yards away or 10 yards away. I'm, I'm shaking, you know, I'm, I'm pumped up. And uh, that doesn't have the same effect on me. Uh, and yeah, me neither. You know, but, it, but look, it, I have, but there's a, there again, not to interrupt you, but I, I have nothing but respect for Mr. Warren. I know him well, you know, uh, one of his sons and I are, are, are close friends. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, he's one of those guys, he, he's going to get pumped up whether he's shooting yeah, with, a, I mean, with he, a bazooka or a recurve. He's you know? killed so, maybe 10 times more deer than most of us will ever kill or even yeah, maybe no see, doubt, see no in doubt. our life. And you're talking to he just turned seventy four, a seventy four year old man that says, "Yeah, I get pumped up when I, I could see him with you know, with a rock in my hand, and I get excited if if a deer walked out." So that's you right. know that's passion and uh, to the maximum, but also kind of proves we're, we're all different. We all we all get a different uh, experience out of deer hunting, um, and you said something a second ago. You know, like I don't. You know, no offense to anybody that likes it any other way or, or something along those lines. And the thing is, is as a bow hunter, I, I'm like you. I haven't I haven't shot a deer with a gun in quite a while. And um, it isn't because I'm against it or I don't like how other people do it. And I'm definitely not about changing other people's ways of hunting because they really have no effect on me because I can promise you, we are not hunting even close to the same places. If you're hunting right. with a gun and I'm hunting with a bow, we are almost on different planets in the woods. No doubt. No and, doubt. Um, but what it is, you know, the reason why we do this podcast and the reason why we have Louisiana bow hunters, because it's more about, you know, the inclusion like, Oh, you like to bow hunt also. Let's go down this path together. Let's chase this, this rabbit down the hole and let's go deeper and deeper into the process into the rewards into the, the um, just the ins and outs of every, every facet of, of, of this sport. And uh, if you're not into bow hunting, you might hate this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If That's you're true. kind of into bow hunting, you might like it even more after the end of it. And if you're really into bow hunting, you probably don't miss an episode, you know? Um, and, uh, and that's, that's why that's what gets me excited to, to record these every week is because I, you know, I, I can't even express how much I've learned this season from everybody, everybody I've talked to, you know, and in a sense, I don't know if there's anybody out there that enjoys the podcast more than me because I'm the one that gets to learn about all this stuff first, you know? Uh, and, and that's the cool thing is that I'm like a sponge learning from people and putting tactics in my chest and, and, uh, you know, taking that and putting them in my tool bag. And then hopefully other people get to, uh, take the pieces that are pertinent to them or their style or their property, which is what we're going to talk about today. I bet there's sure. a lot of people listening that have been or are in a rifle lease and then they got into bow hunting and now they're trying to bow hunt what is what is considered to be a rifle hunting property. And so um, I think that's going to be a fun topic for us today. But, um, you know, before we get into that, why don't you give us a little bit of your background hunting? You say you've been bow hunting for 25 years, but tell us kind of how you got started. What got you hooked? Well, I got hooked bow hunting. Kind of a funny story. I grew up hunting on Cat Island in West Louisiana, St. Francisville area. 
down in the river. I, my, my dad was in a hunting club there. Uh, at one time, it was the oldest hunting club in Louisiana. My my grandfather on my mom's side was one of the founding members of it. And anyway, we we hunted there for years, and I, we my dad was always a big squirrel hunter. He never did really bow hunt. Uh, my dad's one and only bow hunt. He told me when he had bought a bow, a recurve bow back in the day, and there was lots of deer cut island, and some deer were coming to our acorn tree, and he he shot out of his arrows twice, climbed down out of his tree. <laughs> Two different times, never hit a deer, came down and sold his bow the next day. <laughs> he said, heck with this, it wasn't for him. Yeah. So, and then, and then I came along, you know, we were squirrel hunting one morning, and the roads we had back then were, you know, you had to have four-wheel drive trucks to go anywhere you went. And we were coming out of the woods one day, and we, and we drove up, I guess I was around 10, maybe 11. We drove up on a guy, and we knew him, and he was stuck. And uh, he didn't have a winch on his Jeep, but, but we had a winch on our truck. So we went to pull him out. He had a dead cow horn spike with an arrow sticking out of his side. And he had shot that deer with a recurve bow. Hmm. And then from that moment on, I have been, uh, the, the archery bug has taken over me. <laughs> uh, and, and it just, it grabbed me. Uh, and I was so intrigued by that. I couldn't keep my hands off the deer. I'd never shot, never uh, never seen one shot with a bow, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they had several bow hunters back then. Uh, you know, there was a, I think that was right around the time when compounds had just started coming out, maybe in the mid seventies. Um, and, um, but most of those guys hunted with recurves and I, I remember watching them and I just, I just caught the archery bug and I just loved it. Beg my dad for buying me a bow and he's like, I'm not buying you one of those things. You'll cut your arm off with a broad head. So, Finally, he got me one, and uh, after a couple of years of trying, I finally killed a deer after missing probably 10 or 12 of them. Uh, I guess I was 12 when I killed my first one, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it went from there. You know, I hunted with a recurve for a couple of years, then I graduated to a, to a compound, and I shot a compound with no sights, just with fingers instinctively for several years, and then finally got a sight and you know you went through the process of all the new archery stuff coming through shot fingers with sights for a long time and then releases got popular and started doing that and then i went through all those years and then i kind of went through the traditional bug caught me there a few years back and 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 went through that stage and and bought a couple of custom recurves and and um caught that bug but then and killed several deer with them, and I really liked doing it. But then my, I have a plate in my right arm, and it kind of started bothering me the ligaments in it, and I had to go back to a compound. And yeah. So now I'm kind of a high-tech redneck. I've been shooting a compound for several years, and I, I shoot a few tournaments, you know, and, and uh, I just love archery. Uh, I collect recurve bows. I have a lot of them. I'm in the air-conditioned business, so I'm in a lot of people's attics, and I and I run across them. Yeah. Uh, more often than you would think. It's a lot of people you'd – you know, they put them in their attics and forget about them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I either buy them from or there's a lot of times they'll just give them to me. Hmm. And uh, so I have probably 10 or 12 recurve bows on my wall. You know, I don't shoot them much, but I just just look at them and uh, enjoy having them. And uh, but, yeah, I'm now I'm shooting the latest and greatest compound. Yeah. <laughs> so I've kind of turned the table. You've you know? gone back I, to the to the modern era, huh? Yeah. And look, I. I'm that guy that uh, buys a new bow almost every year. 
I bought two this year. <laughs> well, I'm uh, sure the archery shops love you then. <laughs> they do. They do. And no doubt. When I walk in, they go, cha-ching. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, are you, uh, what are you shooting right now? Right now I'm shooting a PSE. Uh, it's a brand new bow that has come out. We call it an Evoke. Okay. Uh, it's a 35-inch axle-to-axle. Um, it's kind of a longer, you know, than most people shoot nowadays. But I like that. It's kind of a. Uh, I do too. It's a hybrid, you know, tournament type bow. Uh, but it's for me. I'm I'm six one and have a thirty inch draw length, so I, I like her long. For me, they're just more forgiving. The, these bow companies these days, what they do is they are somehow convincing people that a shorter bow is better, right? Um, right. And you say a thirty five inch axle to axle is long. I shoot a 35 and a quarter inch long axle axle bow I have for the past five years or so. Now, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm 6'2". Uh, that isn't a big bow for me. In fact, if I got right. under probably 33 inches, I would start to feel as if it was too small. And then, God God help me, if you gave me a triax, 28 inch axle to axle, I'd feel like I was shooting a kid's bow, right? Um, and, yeah, no doubt. And with my draw length, 29 and a half inches, that'd be a pretty extreme string angle at full draw um which has uh which has some some problems with that as well anyway um 35 inch axle to axle people like you go to any any archery shop today and let's say you want to buy your first bow or your first premium grade bow if you say hey you know what length should i get they're gonna say between probably 30 and 33 inches and if you say well i'd like a longer axle to axle they're gonna look at you sideways like you're crazy Target bows are usually between like 35 and I mean, they have them up to 40 inches now, 42 inches, you know, yep. you can get them yep. to be, I mean, because the longer your riser is and the longer your axle to axle length is, then the less steep the string angle is and the less steep the string angle is generally the more accurate your bow is going to be. Now there is a point of diminishing returns on that where, sure. you know, you can't have a 60 inch compound and expect to get great comp- performance out of it anyway uh 35 inches isn't that long i i'm i'm happy to see more bow companies go the opposite way with it from what's the norm because everybody seems to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter you know one of the myths that i hear people say is that you know i shoot out of a tree stand i want a short bow you don't know cumbersome bow length until you've shoot a, shot a 64 inch long bow out of a lock on Okay. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, I can promise you, there you're not at risk of hitting your seat if you're between a 32 inch and a 30 inch uh, compound, or a 32 and a 34 inch compound. I have never a single time hit my deer stand with my 35 inch bow. Now, granted, I also don't hunt here hunt deer stands that have bars in the front. You know, like like Summit right. Vipers and and things like or old mans and stuff like that. I, I've I like an open front for that reason, but I also like to shoot sitting down sometimes if the deer comes out on my left side because I'm right-handed. I I won't even stand up if I can't. If you're a long-draw guy or just like the stability of a longer axle-to-axle bow, there's nothing wrong with 35. Hell, even a 36-inch bow isn't even that bad, you know? No doubt. I was happy to see PSE go to the 35 because if I'm not mistaken, I think... The evoke is the a longer evolve, is it not? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think it's built on the same system. It has a, a really long riser with short limbs, and uh, it's got the uh, evolve cams on it. Mm-hmm. 
which I really like. You can shoot them on uh, 80%, 85 or 90 Yep. And I have mine on 80%. Uh, the 90 is a little bit too much for me. Uh, you can't, if you draw it back, uh, not that it doesn't feel good when you get it back, but it's hard to let down. If you have to let yeah. down on a deer, it's almost sound like somebody has to push your arm forward. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. And I don't shoot a lot of pounds. I only shoot 61 pounds. It's about as much pound as I want to shoot. Uh, i got some back issues and all that. I, I just don't feel like with today's bows you need any more pounders than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this past year uh, in the Midwest, I shot a, a really big buck. I didn't know, I don't know how much he weighed, but he was well over 250. And I, you know, I shot him with 60 pounds, with a 60 pound, 35 inch bow, and it, and it zipped right through him, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so for me, I just, uh, I don't see the, the need to shoot 80 pounds anymore like we used to, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, what, uh, um, uh, you sent me some pictures earlier today of some of the bucks that you had killed. What, um, what are some of the, the broadheads you're shooting? Man, that's another thing. Being an archery fanatic like I am, uh, I'm even worse of a broadhead <laughs> uh, fanatic. I, I have probably, uh, without exaggeration, probably shot, probably killed deer with at least 30 different kind of broadheads. Wow. Everything from uh, <clears throat> snuffers to Zwickies to expandables. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just have a, I like trying different things. Uh, right now I'm shooting what I brought in called a Ramcat. And I've been shooting mm-hmm. those pretty much primarily, primarily for the last uh, four or five years. And I've had really good luck with them. They fly just like my field points, but, you know, they tune really well. They come out of the package really sharp, and a lot, a lot of these broadheads these days, they're not sharp from the mm-hmm. factory. They're just not, and uh, they may be well made, but they're not very sharp. And for me, I want my broadhead as sharp as I can possibly get it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I like about the ramp cam, they cut on both sides of the blades. So in other words, if you don't get a complete pass through, if your arrow's in there, you know, working around the back side of the blade, if it's trying to back out, it's cutting also. Yeah. And uh, I've had really good luck with them, but I I hadn't had very many that didn't pass through. Um, the, the first buck I shot this year, I hit him a little bit lower than I wanted to, and right through the shoulder. And uh, of course, he was only about twelve yards, but it zipped right through both shoulders. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we we had talked on the um, I think it was the last episode that we had about uh, a buck that I'd killed, where it was the first deer and maybe ten deer that I didn't have, I can't say I didn't have a pass through. My arrow didn't go zip through and stick in the ground. Um, right. Your broadhead probably went all the way through, but the arrow didn't. Well, exactly. So broadhead yeah. went through and through, but what happened was the, the arrow had come out of his, uh, his armpit, his front right armpit and had lodged in his, uh, in his, uh, pretty much his knee, if you will, his, his elbow joint or, or what, whatever you want to call it. And that's just, that was just the path that the arrow took. And so once it hit that on, once it had gone all the way through the deer and then hit that, it stopped. Um, and I think I said something to the effect of, if I'm going to have a bone stop my arrow, I want it to be after I've already passed through the deer. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> you know? no, what kind of broadhead was that that you were using? So, so I shoot, um, wasp drones, which, um, okay. it, it's kind of, I think the thing I like about it is number one, extremely affordable. 
Um, I, I really don't think it's really worth bringing up sharpness. I, I, I haven't seen a broadhead that isn't sharp out of the pack for compounds. Now, if you yeah. are shooting traditional bow and you're shooting like, uh, like you say, Zw- Zwickies or you're shooting um, uh, Simmons Sharks or something, yeah, you got to put some elbow grease into getting them right, um, right. to shave sharp. But most, you know, most uh, compound broadheads, mechanicals or fixed blades, are going to come out, you know, shave shave your hair sharp out of the pack. Um, yeah, most of them will. And so, you know, what I, what I like about it is, I think I had said this a couple of episodes ago, I went to Alaska a few years ago, and I didn't want to go there with expandables because I was going on a caribou hunt. And, um, so I had done some research on broadheads and gotten some opinions and you know how it is on the internet. Everybody loves everything. Okay. If somebody loves something, they're probably just as adamantly against something else. Right. Um, and it's almost like they can't say how great the thing they like is without saying how terrible the thing they hate is. Okay. (laughs) And uh, I mean, that's, it, it just cracks me up that you can't just stop and say, Hey, I really like rage. It's like, I, I really like rage. Uh, if you shoot anything else, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know? Uh, There's a lot of people like that. Yeah. I mean, we could have gone without the second part, you know? But right, no doubt. Anyway, um, I had done some research on the design of broadheads. Not, not the name brand of broadheads, but the broadhead designs that flew the best. And what I found was short blade uh, cut-on-contact broadheads. Um, that you could say acted the least like fletchings on the front end of an arrow generally flew the the uh, the the best. The, they tuned the best. They flew the best. And so what I mean is, it's a short blade um, broadhead. It's not a long sweeping blade like a jet wing or something. It's um, it's like right. kind of it looks a lot like a, the original three blade muzzies. Um, or, uh, or even like the, the muzzy trocars that are out now, um, there's not a whole lot of, uh, surface area to catch the wind, right? less, less drag, a lot less drag. And yeah. so a lot less front steering of the arrow. Well, so I bought these things cause I was kind of hoping to get some good performance at long distance with them. And I remember, you know, shooting out to 80 yards in pre- preparation for this caribou hunt. Um, because I had, I had seen a video this is one of my favorite comments about caribou hunting. Um, a pack of caribou will let you get within 80 yards of them. They will not let you get within 79 yards of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that Once you get 80, once you, like they will look at you straight, straight in the eye at 80 yards and, and it's like watching cattle. But when you take one step closer to 79, they're gone. And so I wanted to be like, like really accurate out to almost a hundred yards. And, um, and so I, I'd gone to these broadheads and I bought two packs. uh, What did I buy? I bought three packs of them because I had six arrows, three, three broadheads per pack. And one whole pack I devoted to, um, tuning, uh, like I was going to dull them up trying to get them, uh, broadhead tuned. Well, I went to, I put them on every single one of my arrows and I started shooting them and, they were hitting exactly where my field points were, even out to 80, 85 yards. And that, you know, people need to remember this. The first step in having uh, accurate broadheads is having an accurate and a professionally tuned bow. 
That's that's There's step no number one. No okay, yeah. you can't. You know, people like to shoot the mechanicals because they shoot like field points because there's very little surface area for drag and steering. But the reality is, is that if your bow's out of tune and you're accurate with mechanicals, you're you're masking the problem. Okay, you're just ignoring the fact that your bow's out of tune and you're taking some mediocre accuracy as a result. Um, but so I was shooting these broadheads out to 80 yards and they were literally, I, I feel so cliche saying this. They were hitting with my broad, they were hitting with my field points, you know? Um, and when I got back from Alaska, I had a couple left over and I've been shooting them ever since. And because when I started shooting them through whitetails, I never had anything but a zip through pass through. And I'm talking shoulder blade. I'm talking right. hitting ribs on entrance and exit. I mean, it was in and out, you know, like it was nothing. And I was having, I was having penetration problems with mechanicals prior to that. Um, because I do like, I do like a light arrow. I like a fast bow. Um, and, right. and so I was giving up a lot of my momentum, uh, when, that broadhead was open. Broadheads open up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it takes a lot of the kinetic out of it when you do that. It really does. It <clears> robs the energy robs out. It's, a lot. It's, uh, yeah. There's look. Broadheads are. Uh, you can argue about broadheads all day long. It's about like you know religion. You can you can say what's best. You know. I mean, you can <laughs> yeah. argue about it all day long. Or politics, I guess I should say. Uh, everybody's got their opinion, uh, and that's why I like to try different ones. But I keep I kind of this is. The, the the ram cat is the only one i keep going back to yeah you know i've shot deer with rages the other buck i shot this year i actually shot with a rage uh i think he called it a tripan 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 yeah yeah and, uh, mm-hmm. and i hit him i hit that buck the second buck i shot this year which was just uh, a couple of weeks ago um uh, i shot him i'm bad about shooting a deer in the shoulder and i shot him right in the smack in the shoulder and it, but it, but it penetrated all the way to the, to the other shoulder and lodged in his other shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. He didn't go, you know, he only went 40 yards and he was, he was, he was out, but, but, uh, it, it destroyed the broad end. Yeah. <laughs> he destroyed it. So, uh, and I had to dig it out of him when we skipped the deer, but you know, that other broadhead, I feel like maybe would have poked out the other side, maybe possibly, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, I just, and I'm not saying I won't try them again, but it, they definitely, uh, it definitely didn't. I haven't tore up a ram cap yet. They, they've, yeah. they've done really well. You know, they, uh, most of the deer I shoot, you just put new blades on them and use them again, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. The Wasp drones, um, one of the things I liked about them is, is it's a steel ferrule and yeah. it comes with, uh, two sets of replacement blades. So you get three broadheads oh, really? and then you yeah. get two sets of replacement blades. And if you can find them in shops, they're usually between, they're usually like twenty four ninety nine, twenty five dollars Um, yeah, not, a t- not a ton of shops carry them. And then, um, if you go online and buy them, you can get a pack of them for nineteen ninety nine on Amazon straight from Wasp. Really? Yeah. And That's so cheap, yeah. it, you know, it, it almost becomes like a, an all around broadhead. You, you don't, you don't mind slinging them, at, slinging them at a pig. Um, you don't care <laughs> if they get destroyed, but I'll tell you, um, new year's day, uh, I hunted public land and, uh, I killed, I, I doubled up and, and I know there's some people listening that want to hear this story. They've made some comments on the internet about it, but I doubled up. I went in by boat. I took probably the, the most badass picture I've ever taken in my life of a vertical shot of my deer stand, 
looking down at the Piro underneath because my tree that I set up in was in the water and it was just, it just came out as a sweet picture and I didn't even mean for it to, you know, yeah. I, I, and I was just trying to show like, Hey, this is a hunting situation, but it ended up being just a really, really cool perspective. Well, uh, about two hours later, um, I killed a nice doe and then I killed a nice eight point as well. Um, within about an hour of each other. And, um, that doe, she was the biggest doe I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I couldn't weigh her. I don't have a scale, but if she wasn't 150 to 160, she wasn't a hundred pounds. I mean, she was, she had a face that was a foot long. I mean, she looked like she had a horse head on her. Um, and she was big. Well, I put kind of a strange shot on her because she picked me off on, picked me off the tree like a smart doe will at the very last second and try to duck the shot. Anyway, that was the first broadhead from wasp that, um, you know, other than losing it, like remember meaning like it, it breaking off and me losing it in the woods or something. Um, that was the first broadhead that had bent and I've probably shot 10 or 12 deer with these broadheads and, and God knows how many pigs and you unscrew them. You take the blades off, you throw the replacement blades back on and you go back hunting again. And this one, I went to go unscrew it and it was just like, it was bent. It was <laughs> beyond repair. So bit the, yeah. the feral a little bit. Yeah. And it, I mean, yeah. that was, that was the, uh, the first one that's ever bent. So you know, solid steel broadheads. Um, you must have hit something pretty hard then. Yeah, exactly. You know, I debated telling telling the story in its entirety on the podcast because, you know, it's it's probably the worst I've ever felt killing a deer. Um, because I'll preface the whole thing by saying, you know, whether you mean this or not, or whether you know this or not, we all want a quick ethical death of what we're hunting. Okay. No doubt. No you doubt. you do not want to see an animal suffer, and um, the situation that I was in was I had a north wind and I paddled in from a slough from the south, and the ridge that I was hunting um, was a couple hundred yards long and it was east to west, perfectly east to west. So if you if you imagine I come in from the right side of the ridge. And I paddle, I'm on the south side of the ridge, and I'm going to paddle up to the far left corner of it where I have a perfect wind in my favor blowing into the water behind me, but I'm facing the ridge in front of me, okay? And and to my right, imagine 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock is all thick, thick palmettos. Um, From 12 o'clock to 9 o'clock for about 50 yards is a beautiful oak flat big established mature oak trees um from my nine o'clock to my six o'clock on my left is more palmettos and then past those palmettos is all crp field where the deer better down in the day and they come back in in the woods at night or in the evening and so i you know i kind of named i kind of named it the four corners because just of how diverse this 100 yard circle was right um you you got oak flat you got palmetto you have water and you have crp i mean what what could be better? And what can you ask for? Yeah. And, and so before I even got to the stand, um, I had to paddle in midday. We, you know, our daughter was sick the night before I didn't wake up at three or four in the morning to go hunting. I slept in, I wanted to help my wife with, uh, with the baby. And then, um, once she started feeling better around 1030, I rolled out, got to my parking spot, I would say around 1130 
and started paddling and had never been here before. I was, you know, it's a new place on the map for me. And on the way through this um, Tupelo swamp, it's a, it's a slough. And when I say a slough, I don't mean like a bayou where there's other boat traffic. I mean, it is um, just true backwater. The, it, it's just every, every 10 or 15 feet is a huge Tupelo tree or huge gum tree. And um, it's almost like uh, just pristine backwater woods. And it never never dries out. All right, it's always got water year round. So it's not it's not flood water. It's it's it's. I think it's, it's there all the time. I think it's higher than than it usually is, but it's never dry. I can tell you that. Yeah. Okay, because there's no vegetation. There's nothing that grows there. Not even not even buckbrush. Okay. Mm, um, okay. And so um, and then on the outer perimeter of it is palmetto ridges with oak flats and hardwoods and things like that. So that's the that's the scene, right? Um, well, I get about 200 yards from where I put in my boat, and I see some palmettos that Greg Gravois would call on a flat ridge, right? And meaning all this stuff is underwater, but there it's only three to six inches deep, okay? Yeah. And this is in the middle. I mean, the absolute middle of what would be probably three to 400 yards of um, of slough, and I I see a bunch of wood ducks, and they kick up, and, and I'm paddling in my, in my little Piro, and all of a sudden, I realize that I am 23 yards, eye to eye, pretty much, from a bedded doe sleeping or sitting at the base of a, of a Tupelo tree, okay? And she only has about a foot and a half, maybe two feet of dry land before the water starts encroaching on her. And I'm looking at the steer, and I, in my head, I'm like, holy shit, I'm looking at a deer at, at damn near 20 yards from me. And I said something on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I'd never had it, you could say, like truly confirmed for me before. But I said that deer are generally not very threatened by things that approach from the water. Okay. Right. They're primarily focused on things that come from dry ground. I said that, honestly, as a theory. Okay. If I was a deer, that sounds like a logical thing for me to believe, right? Um, that, you know, if you think about all the threats a deer has, the ones that could possibly attack from the water are probably pretty low down on the list. Well, I had never had it confirmed to me until this moment on New Year's Day. And this deer is looking right at me. Okay. And you, you got to think about her perspective. Okay. She sees half of a human in a brown boat, which I guess maybe resembles a log, if you will. And, you know, I'm wearing camouflage. She does not seem alarmed at all. Like, she's looking at me as if I'm just a big wood duck, right? She might have thought you were just a floating log with a really big turtle on it. Yeah. And, (laughs) man, I'm looking at this deer, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a deer right there. I cannot believe this. And And then I look at the deer, and then I look around, and I was like, how in the hell did you get here? And why are you here? You know, why are you in the middle of this island? And it's not even an I can't be given enough credit to call it an island because there's not any land. It's all underwater except for what she's laying on. Okay. And I have my bow behind me. And, uh, you know, just a little trick for people. If you've ever forgotten your lineman's belt and you want to make sure you never forget it again, Tie two loops of paracord to the um, the end of your bow, like where the limb pockets are, and clip your lineman's belt into those and use it as a sling. 
Okay. So if you have your bow, you have your lineman's belt, right? So, you know, another reason you should never go without fall protection. And so I have my carabiners clipped into my bow. I don't have my, my release is clipped around my quiver. Okay. And my quiver's still on the bow. So I stop paddling and I, I, I try not to make eye contact with this doe as I'm 20 yards from, <laughs> from her at 1230 in the afternoon, by the way. Okay. So there's no headlamps involved. There's no darkness. It is like me and her on a lunch break. And so I slowly reach behind me to grab my bow. And of course it hits everything on the way out of the boat. I unclip my lineman's belt carabiners. I take the quiver off. I take my uh, my wrist strap, my uh, my release off. I knock an arrow. At this point in time, the wind kind of blows me backwards a little bit, and it, it it pushes me to where there's some trees in between me and her. When that happens, my pyro, which is fiberglass, knocks into the tree, and it goes dunk like that. And when that happens, then she's like, "Wait a second, <laughs> that's not right. That's not <laughs> that's, what's going on here?" And she stands up and when, when, um, when she stands up, I still have the tree in between us. And I'm in this weird situation where I'm clipped into my bow. I have an arrow knocked. I have trees in between us. She looks like she's ready to bolt, but I'm not going anywhere because, and I really need to take like one stroke forward or backwards to, to clear the trees to get a shot at her. Well, anyway, I end up going backwards a little bit and, um, right when I make eye contact with her, I release and she, instead of dropping and jumping up, she just went straight up like inspector gadget style. And I shot underneath her. I, 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 uh, 20 yards, eye level out of a boat, sitting down, shooting off my left side, shooting at what was a bedded doe. And I scrape her, uh, her brisket and um, I don't even think I caught any meat. I think I just shaved white hair because I had to have a picture of the uh, arrow lodged into a uh, tupelo tree and then a pile of white hair underneath it. And then, yeah. you know, me scratching my head as to how this all happened so quickly. But um, so she takes off through the water, which is like two or three feet deep once you get off this island. And it was an incredible sound to hear this deer run full force through chest deep water. Okay. She takes off, and I had a, a trail camera with me. And I wanted to hang it, and um, and so I was I was trying. I got out, and I went to go try and find a place where I think maybe these deer are approaching this island. But it's three hundred and sixty degrees. It's only twenty yards long. I mean, like it could be anywhere, you know. It could come from any direction. Yeah. yeah, and so I mean, what do I do? Face the camera out over open water, and um. When I step out of the boat and I, I walk through my first set of palmettos, another deer bolts and goes the other direction. Only this one sounds bigger. I never saw it. Um, and I was like, this is crazy, right? So I hang the camera. I keep paddling down towards my ridge. Um, and uh, I get out and I hang the second camera that I had. And when I do that, I scare up three black pigs from the ridge and they take off and swim off, which deer deer which hogs swim very slowly <laughs> okay very, very poorly they're not the best swimmers but they can do it um and uh so i keep going down the ridge and scare up two more deer i keep going down the ridge and once i get closer to the little corner i want to hunt i scare up two more and so that's six deer and then um i think i scared another one up as i was setting up I, it was just 
I mean, how often do you scare up seven deer midday plus three hogs and you haven't even hung a deer stand yet, you know? So you can imagine. And miss, and miss one. Yeah, in the and, and miss one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine my my expectation for this hunt. Um, and so I get set up and uh, about 20 minutes after I get set up behind me, um, I hear something running through the water, like the edge of the water. And um, I look back and. I couldn't get my binoculars up in time, but um, I was looking through some buck brush and I see it running with its head down, but I don't see how big it is, but I know it's a buck, um, but it wasn't anything substantial. I never saw him again. Well, about 4.30 from my right, my 3 o'clock coming down this ridge bank is a yearling doe and what is a horse dressed like a doe. Okay. The, the biggest doe I've ever seen in my life. And, um, they're about 30 yards when I spot them and they're coming right in front of me. I'm kind of, um, they were, their, their deer trail was about only about uh, two yards from the water line. And so if I hunted on dry land with my wind, I would have pretty much been setting up straight on the deer trail. So what I did was I went about 10 yards into the water, which is only a foot deep right there. And um, tied my pyro off and climbed the tupelo tree right there and hunted, you know, in the water over the land, if you will. And so um, they were coming down that trail and she comes into about 25 yards and she's at my probably two o'clock at this point in time. And right about the time they get to 20 yards or so, she gets off the trail and starts walking in the water, like coming towards me through the water and I'm thinking to myself I'm like what are you doing why would you do that you know um and so she's like really really skeptical and like I said I got a perfect wind she's not smelling me she's not seeing me she steps off into the water gets about two yards out three yards out from the bank in the water and then looks at my pyro okay and then and then this is the crazy thing she looks at my pyro and then you can see her gears turning in her head and then she sees my first climbing stick. And then she sees my second climbing stick. And she, her head keeps going up and up and up. And she sees her third climbing stick. And my fourth climbing stick. And then my deer stand. And then me. And I'm at full draw and have been for about a minute and a half now. And I need her to take one step forwards for me to put an arrow into into her shoulder or her front, her front right side and kill this deer. Well, she takes half a step forward and when I release, she drops and the arrow went in kind of the top of her neck is a really odd angle. I still don't truly understand it. Went in the top of her neck, like, like, uh, kind of about, you know, where you would make your, your first cut for the back strap on the base of the neck, um, went in the top of her neck and came out her elbow pocket on her front left leg. And, I thought, because it happened so fast, I thought that I had made like a deadly shot because six inches lower and it was all double long, you know, exit dead within 20 yards. And that's what, that's a shot I thought I'd made. Well, so she bolts, makes it about 10 yards and crashes. And I'm thinking like, oh, easy, right? Textbook stands up, crashes again. Stands up, crashes again, then gets in the water and tries to swim across the slough, which is like 200 yards long, by the way. Makes it 10 yards, can barely walk, 
bleeding like I've never seen anything bleeding out of her neck. And um, then she starts like rolling over in the water like she's about to like a, like a goldfish rolls on her back. Mm-hmm. Nothing but her head out of the water. Takes a breath, straightens out, comes back, swims back to shore, crashes in the palmetto, crashes in the palmetto again, stands up, crashes again, only makes it 10 yards from shore. And look, every single time she crashed, it was, it sounded like every time you kill the deer and it was their last hoorah. Okay. It was just hard crash, hard crash, hard crash. And it was, her will to live was unbelievable. Well, this goes on. I'm not exaggerating for 35 minutes and oh, it, it was awful. I, I I mean, I was, I was sick to my stomach and, and the, and, and a lot of you are thinking right now, why didn't you climb down and slit her throat? She had so much life in her and I knew I didn't catch any vitals after seeing the entrance and exit of the shot. I was terrified that if I pushed her, she was going to find another level of adrenaline and I, and I, she was just going to bolt. <laughs> You know, because her front right leg was fine. Her back legs were fine. It was her front left that was giving her problems. And the extremeness that she was crashing over and over again, like I said, any one of them should have been her last one, if that makes sense. And so the other thing is she's now from where I'm standing and where she's laying in the palmettos she has trees in between me and her because I wanted to put another arrow in her. But you know, when a deer lays down in palmettos, they disappear. She never gave me a clean shot to put anything and put another arrow in her. And I was for how much life she had in her. I was really afraid if I even started to climb out of my stand, she'd see me and take off and, and I was going to lose her. Well, there's another thought going through my head, which now it's like four forty five, four fifty. We're in the golden hour. What if something else walks out, you know? And then at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, like, when are you going to die? You've, you should have been dead 15 times now. Well, so long story short, um, about three minutes later, I hear a footstep to my left. It's a really nice eight point. Um, I would say probably not really nice, but I would say like your average Louisiana basket rack, rack eight point, you know, something that you would, Never let Pat walk on public land. Okay. It's not a 120. It's not a 140. But it was something where, you know, unless you're on your last tag, you've already killed a couple big Respect, deer. Respectable deer. You're, you're not going to let it walk. And so I shoot him, and that was textbook. I shot him double long, broadside, 35 yards. He ran 50 yards and piled up. After that, the doe had not made a peep since before I shot that buck. But I had a feeling she was still alive when I climbed down. Um, I had to slit her throat, but I, I still, I'll, I'll hold firm to this. I still am concerned that if I were to climb down sooner and, and, you know, and I, I actually thought about, well, what do I do? Do I, do I sprint to her? Like, do I go tackle her real quick? And, you know, or like, do I try, do I try to catch her before she can get up and run off? Or do I creep up to where she doesn't think it's a person walking up on her, right? Um, and so, I mean, these are the thoughts going through my head. And so anyway, I, I turn my light on and and um, walk right up to her, and she lifted her head, and, and I slit her throat. And, you know, that sounds really gruesome, um, but, you know, I slit her throat, you know, kind of tried to put her at ease, and I kneeled on her chest to where she couldn't inflate her lungs anymore. 
um, because she was still breathing, but she couldn't move. I, I literally just stayed there with her until she died. And I really hate that she went out like that. I'm not happy about it. Um, I don't honestly, uh, I don't know if there was another way for that situation to go any differently because I felt as if I'd made a good shot on her. She was just, she had just had me pinpointed, you know, um, and I was at full draw. You know, I wish it had gone differently. I wish it, it wish it had gone faster, but it didn't. And, you know, I, I was afraid I was going to lose her and she would continue to suffer had I not let her lay there. It was a hard decision, Glenn. Wasn't a, wasn't yeah, a fun that, one to make. That's a, if you've been alive long enough, you're going to run into a, to a situation like that sooner or later. And, uh, you know, that that's something we none of us ever want to do. You know, of course, as bow hunters, you want to make the best shot yeah. as you can. But things happen. And believe me, I've, I've had my rodeos like that too through the years, you know, it's just, uh, unfortunate, but it happens, you know, and, and, and the best way to handle it, handle those situations is, is the way you did use your head, you know, think it through before you'd make rash decisions Yeah, and, and just, I think that's the best way to handle anything, uh, when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I mean, yeah, we, we've all had those, you know, uh, if you hunt long enough, it's going to happen. But, uh, you just try to make the best shot you can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then sometimes even, even when you make great shots, you hit a twig or a limb or, uh, something in between you and the deer that you didn't see. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I look, I used to take shots. I shouldn't have, you know, there's a lot of my regret now. Uh, and, and I don't take those anymore. I try to pride myself in only taking, you know, slam dunk shots, mm-hmm. but even with those, Every once in a while, yeah, you uh, you gotta you you, know, you gotta remind you know, yourself you're not in control of the whole situation. It, you know? Exactly, and and things happen. It's just part of it, and uh, you just you just move on to the next and try to erase that one out of your mind. Well, I can tell <laughs> you what, you I, do, I, you know? I I tend to the buck. You know, yeah, uh, thirty five. So, a little so did he make it back to the water, or did he make it stay on the dry land? Look, let me tell you. I, I don't know if I'll ever walk into the woods ever again because this is, you know, like I don't know if you, you know, Happy Gilmore when he starts making hole in ones and he's like, oh, this is way easier than putting. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, I shot that doe and she died 10, 10 yards from the water, right? About 50, about 30 yards from my Piro. I shot that buck at 35 yards. He ran 50 yards. So he was down within 100 yards of the water and I had paddled about a mile and a quarter in. Okay. So let me tell you. Dragging two deer out by Piro with my big ass and two deer and my Piro, that makes for a sporty trip out in a Piro. Okay. Shoot, I bet. I mean, after not, dark. not yeah. a lot of, yeah, after dark, not a lot of freeboard left. All right. And, uh, but that is exponentially easier than dragging even a single deer out that far from the woods without a game cart. You know, to drag both of them less than 100 yards combined and put them in the Piro and then drag them 20 yards to my truck once I get out of the slough that's like cheat code, right? Cheat code yeah. for life. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, the, the two that doesn't happen very often. Easiest recoveries I've ever made, you know? Um, but, uh, yes, I mean, that, so that's the story on that. Cause, cause I had made some posts on Instagram about, and Facebook about, you know, making an all day hunt. And then that, that plan got, uh, squashed at about three thirty in the morning. And then, um, you know, still made an afternoon hunt or a midday to evening hunt. And it turned out great. You know, uh, the being able to double up on public land in the last hour of the hunt 
going in by boat. I mean, it's it's picture perfect, if you will. You yeah, know. it sounded pretty uh, cool. It, it was great. Cool evening there. Yep. Well, um, look, that's you know, I know some people wanted to hear that story, uh, and it's a it's a fun one to tell. I, like I said, I wish I had a different outcome from the doe, and I think that's you know, deer hunting isn't always uh, a beautiful thing. You know, um, no, sure I, not. I, it was it was odd. You know, you have so much respect for the animal. You hate what's, what they're going through. You know, I was I was visibly like, I was literally petting her, like trying to soothe her through this uh, and end this for her. You know, right, um, right. and you know, it just it, it gets to you because we don't we don't want to treat animals that way. But um, let's get let's get kind of on the main topic of tonight, which is you know, something that you've got a lot of experience in. You say you have some family land that you hunt with family and other people on this, uh, this lease, if you want to call it that. And you're the only bow hunter, right? Correct. I, I am. I'm the only one that bow hunts. Well, my son, when he hunts, he, he bow hunts also. Uh, but yeah, it's a family place. And when, then we lease some property that, that kind of borders our, the land that we own. And, uh, my parents are both 76 years old, and, and believe it or not, my, my mom is a very avid hunter. She she kills her bucks every year. You mm-hmm. know, she hasn't got one this year. My dad got a nice one the other evening, but um, she is very – and she used to bow hunt. She bow hunted. She loved it uh, up until she was probably, I don't know, maybe late 50s. Uh, she, bow, she killed lots of deer with a bow. That's and, awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. She was uh, talking – we were talking earlier about the broadheads and all we – I would set her up with a, cause she only shot like 40 pounds at max. And, uh, but she would zip right through a lot of those deer with a cut on impact type broadhead, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a heavy era. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, getting back to the topic, we, <clears throat> my parents go and hunt, you know, and then I have some nephews that hunt. Uh, and then we have in our, in our club, uh, you know, we, we have some friends that, that, you know, help pay the lease that we let them hunt that them and their families also. And uh, so this, just like this afternoon, we had uh, three other people hunting, and I'm the only one bow hunting. You know, so yeah, there's there's a strategy uh, behind that. You know, uh, there's all kind of things I do differently. I got on the place we have leased. I probably have ten or twelve lock-ons and, and strategic places. You know, that are funnels. Uh, places that this time of year when the deer start getting behind does that especially uh, it's almost like hunting public land trying to hunt let the people push the deer to you you know so there's i usually try to get to my stand before daylight before everybody else gets there or in the evenings before they get there you know and then that way if they do push deer to you uh you know you're already set up now uh, now are you uh are you hunting with a four wheeler, are they going in by four wheeler or side by side or anything like that? We mostly walk in everywhere we go. Uh, but yeah, I have neighbors. Another thing, some of my neighbors hunt with four wheelers, you know. And uh, I used to have one particular neighbor neighbor years ago that uh, they all they it was a bunch of them. They would get on their four wheeler before daylight, and they had a bunch of ryegrass and all planted around their house. And uh, we bordered them. It was just a creek in between us and them. And when they would get in the mornings and leave, you know, the deer would come to back to bed up on us. And, and I've killed several bucks like that, and, you know, uh, through the years with them. When they're leaving, the deer are coming to us, you know. Oh, 
so that was one of my strategies. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's a there's a method to the madness when it comes to bow hunting only. You know, uh, when it's when everybody else has got firearms around you. So are you hunting? Um, are you mainly hunting travel routes? Are you trying to hunt feed trees? Uh, you know, kind of paint us a picture of. Their well, early season, and... yeah, I'm, I'm doing just like every other bow hunter. I'm trying to find the hottest acre trees, you know, persimmon trees, what have you, food plots. Uh, but this time of year, I'm mainly hunting travel routes, saddles and ridges, uh, escape routes, I call them. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, our, our, the area we hunt in is fairly hilly, and where you have a lot of gullies come up and make a head. I like to set a stand up on the head of that where the deer have to go around it, you know, um, and, and shoot a lot of my stands are like in between in gullies in between two food plots, you know, where I might have kin folks hunting in the food plots Yeah, and I'm in between them, you know? So, and, so uh, you're, you know, one of the things that we, I, I don't know if we've talked a lot of bit about this recently, but, um, you know, a food plot or, or a human provided food source, such as, you know, a feeder or rice bran or something like attracting or something like that. Right. You are luring the deer, right? Sure. You're trying to pull them into the mouse trap so that you can shoot them. And it's so where you're hunting, I bet you're shooting a lot of probably staged up deer, a lot of deer that are kind of going to the woods edge, waiting for the right time to come out in the field. Am I right? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. A lot of the a lot of the places I hunt, I'm set up, you know, a hundred to two hundred yards from a food plot on a travel route. The deer come in there and they you know, and they'll stage up in an area, especially if you've got a few acre trees still dropping this time of year. They'll stage up in that area uh until it gets pitch dark and then they'll come out to food plots. Yeah. So so I guess here here's kind of a uh a brutally honest question for you. Um how how are you perceived in your lease? I know it's your family, so there's some bias towards you, of course. But do the rifle hunters feel like you're cutting them off, maybe a little bit? No, you know, not that they've ever told me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they may feel like that, but they never have told me. Uh, and I try not to do that. I try not to. We're all good friends, and we don't we don't step on each other's toes. You know, we, we're not yeah. like it's not the place I hunt is not like. A, real competitive hunting club you know we're not we're not really like that uh, mm-hmm. it's mostly family and 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 i'm not trying to cut anybody off i i, I just i'm i got plenty of places to go where i don't have to do that you know? yeah uh, well the re- but the hunting pressure is you know pressure is pressure whether it's with a bow or a gun or whatever people pressure is people pressure yeah and uh so when you got people going to these box stands in and out, you know, a couple of times a week and, and riding four waters in there, like you say, and all that, that keeps those deer off of those big food plots and all until dark. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do try to capitalize on that, you know, hunting in staging areas like you were talking about earlier. Well, the reason why I ask you that is because, um, you know, people that don't bow hunt or have never bow hunted, and let's let's create a situation where you're the only bow hunter in the club. Um, maybe you've been in this club your you know for the past five or six years, and you've been a rifle hunter like the other ten people in it. And then all of a sudden you show up and you've got a bow, and everybody's like, "What are you going to do with that?" You're different, right? Yeah, you, no doubt. You're, yeah, you're doing no doubt. something differently than how they're doing, which um, 
you know, a lot of times it doesn't matter if it's bow hunting, it could be, uh, you know, a different type of fishing. It could be anything different. If you are doing something that is unfamiliar to another person, generally the first instinct is one of two things. Number one, intrigue, right? Like, Oh, that's cool. Let me tell me more about it. Or number two, if you're more closed minded and set in your ways, uh, is a threat threatening, right? Yeah. No, um, no doubt. What, yeah. you know, and then, and then you could, you know, then I, and I'm sure some people listening might've gone through this, uh, if, as they try to make the, the conversion over to bow hunting, uh, why do you want to do that? Is, you know, you too good for us? Uh, are you, you think you're better than me? Whatever. Okay. Um, and I've, I've seen some people argue, uh, that bow hunters ruin the woods for rifle hunters. Okay. I've seen people yeah, I've say heard that. that too. Okay. Yeah. Um, because we're just, you know, aimlessly walking around the woods and screwing up the deer woods and they're not going to see anything from their box stand or their pipeline. A, an example of this, um, was actually uh, my friend Scott Rowe, who owns Spillway Sportsman. He hunts in Gator Bayou, and he's told me about his, some run-ins over there about um, how Gator Bayou would not allow you to hunt out of a climbing stand because they wanted to know exactly where you hunted all the time. Uh, and right. they, they treated bow hunters like criminals, essentially, because you can't hear a rifle shot go off. And so there were these blank, just unwarranted accusations of bow hunters killing over their limit or killing illegal bucks uh, from club rules and being able to sneak them out because nobody heard them shoot, right? Right, Um, right. And it's (laughs) paranoia. I mean, it is... Sure. It's incredibly paranoid to think that. And also, it's, you know, it's almost like uh, being judged before ever having any reason to, to uh, deserve the disdain that you're receiving, right? Um, and I really think that's a lot of the reason why you're seeing posts on Facebook and even, even clubs, um, people looking for clubs that are archery only, is because, right. you know, it's, it is somewhat difficult to have a balance between a rifle club and a bow hunting member. Um, it's one thing, you know, and and when I say a bow hunting member, I mean, year round, I mean, January, December, November, you're hunting with a bow. It's one thing, like if you're, if you're in a, if you're in a deer lease and you want to bow hunt all the way, all the way to November 6th and then November 7th, rifle season's open and you don't touch your bow after November 6th. That's one thing I'm talking about the guys that are in deer leases that are box stands, food plots, shooting lanes, pre-hung stands types of situations, and they have to, I guess you could say, find uh, their independence from that, if you will. You know, breaking, you know, almost treating it uh, a little bit like public land, if you will, where you're trying to hunt the conditions and hunt the sign. If you want to move a stand over 50 yards, you can, you know. Right. Um, So... You know, it's, it's, this is not anything that I've personally experienced. You know, I've, I've voiced my opinion, my opinions on, on deer leases and clubs like that. Um, yeah, they're just not for me. Uh, it can be a, it can be a tough situation to, you know, you can, if you let it be, you can, yeah. you can, you can definitely step on toes, uh, and have your stepped on at the same time. 
but I think there's a there's a way around that with communication. You know, uh, and my situation is a little different. I I know everybody that's hunting with us. A lot of your bigger yeah. hunting clubs, you might not know half the guys in there. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I could see where that could be a problem, but but in my situation is a little bit different. Uh, that we all communicate, you know, and I'm not going to go get, you know, say my mom, dad are in a food plot somewhere. I'm not going to go cut them off on purpose. Yeah. I'm I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to try to hunt, um, away from them, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's normally what I do. I let everybody, we have a pinup board, you know, everybody lets you know where you're going in the evening or in the morning before daylight. I'm pretty much the last one that pins up because I want to see where everybody else is going. And, and then act accordingly. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. With, with the wind. And, and, but, uh, but at the same time, <clears throat> I'm not stepping on their toes, but I'm also using them to, to benefit me. To your advantage, you know, In other yeah. words, I'm, I'm hunting, uh, you know, I'm, uh, upwind of them, where, you know, or if a deer does come in there. Because a lot of times the gun hunters, especially in my family, they don't care about the wind. They're just going, yeah. you know. Yep. And, uh, and I use the wind pretty pretty religiously and uh i use that to my advantage you know uh i try to set up where if they are going to spook a deer they're going to come through my funnel or come through uh you know my saddle where i'm hunting at you yeah know, saddle on a ridge or a creek crossing or something like that uh escape routes you know so yep. to speak this time of year you know and, but and like, like i said earlier during, when it's just bow season when it's archery season only I'm hunting like all the rest of the and I'm looking for feed trees and things like that. Yeah. This time of year when the, when the deer, uh, you know, when you got a lot of gun hunters in the woods and then, then my strategy ch- changes. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, are y'all, how, how many acres are y'all hunting there? Well, we have, uh, my dad owns about 400 and then we lease 800 more. Okay. Uh, it's actually across a blacktop road from where we, you know, the place we own. And and the place we own is actually surrounded by national forests, you mm, know. There you go. So I hunt a lot of the public land, also. You know, I I, I venture off in there also a good bit. Yeah, that's so, a that's uh, a great deal right there. Yeah. The the so thing one of the things that I I, uh, I do love about public land is that um, everybody that hunts there is uh, restricted to the same rules as you are. Right. Um, there's no exceptions. Right. You know. Um, yes, there are. Uh, some nuisances to to put up with, you know, people or people coming in and you know ruin your mid, you know, your morning hunt, walking in at seven or eight a.m. or sure, um, things sure. like that. You know, with public land, it truly is up to you to the best of your ability to get away from where other people are willing to go. Um, but the thing I like about it is that you generally on public land have larger acreage uh, t- to yourself than you do on a lease. Right, um, then you can get you can get away from the people if you if you're willing to put the, the legwork in. Yeah, know? there's um, a lot of times, strangely enough, there's um, usually maybe uh, a, a reduced amount of jealousy because you don't know the people that are hunting around you, and they don't know that you're may possibly hunting the same deer. Okay, right. Um, right. You know, and an example of that was um, when I killed my big ten point a couple of years back. Um, the next season I ran into a guy in the same area that I was hunting 
And um, he said, hey, man, uh, were you the guy that, that killed the big 10-point back here? I said, yes, sir, I was. And he goes, well, I have something for you. Um, and he gets out his phone, and um, he, he shows me a video. And I'd killed my deer on January 28th, and he had a video of him on his game camera on a, on a nearby ridge of the deer on January 20th, eight days before. And it was the first time. So when I killed that deer, I'd never seen it before ever. So, um, which is cool. And it sucks at the same time because you yeah. don't have a history with it. So you don't have this expectation that it's going to come out. You don't know what's coming or what's in the area. And in most of the time, what's not in the area. And the fact that there's nothing there. Right. Um, and it was so cool to see this deer walking and, you know, he's five yards from the camera. It's like 1130 in the morning. He's walking around midday in the sun. He's a huge, he's a huge 10 point. Um, and I, it was the first time I'd ever seen him and gotten like a really good look at him other than when he's on my wall. And right. uh, that was so unique because he was like, man, I, you know, I've been watching that deer for quite a while and I you know, other than this video, I've never seen him out during the day. He's like, congrats. You know, I'm glad somebody got him because he was an old deer. My taxidermist, Harmon Carson did the taxidermy on him and he thinks that he was eight and a half. Um, it's an old, old deer. He was definitely in decline. His tines were starting, starting to shorten up. His right. tines were starting to shorten up and, um, had big bases and just didn't, the mass didn't go throughout. Um, and, uh, had a lot of battle scars and stuff. So I think he was an old, old warrior, but, uh, you know, when it comes to public land, especially bow only public land, um, everybody's held to the same rules and regulations, and there aren't any exceptions. And it doesn't matter if you're related to the club president, and it doesn't matter if you know you're in town for Thanksgiving weekend only out of college, so you can shoot whatever you want. You know, everybody is on this. It's a level playing They're field. They're on equal ground. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and 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 it's you know if if you want. Uh, generally, if you want a, a better outcome than the people hunting around you, you have to either put in more effort or be better at scouting or, or hunting the conditions. And then also there's a lot of luck involved also, you know, yeah, um, no doubt. but you know, I believe in, I believe in positioning and I believe in, um, in, uh, uh personal responsibility. And, uh, if you're willing to put yourself in the best position you can over and over again, then that's when your luck increases, you know? Um, no doubt. so, uh, so, you know, is there anything else that you can think of, um, about the kind of hunting, hunting private land in a, in a, a gun lease, uh, that you can think of you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's several things, you know, like, like I said, I, a lot of people look at bow hunters like, you know, they're egotistical or, you know, trying to prove something or something like that. I just, I just wanted to spill that, that, that myth. That's not, that's not what I'm about anyway. You mm -hmm. know, I, I'm just, I'm just hunting with archery equipment because I love archery. That's what I want to do. Yeah. You know? uh, and I do feel more accomplished when I do take a deer, you know, during the firearm season with a bow, I just get more out of it. Yeah. Uh, yep. But you know, there's, uh, there, there's a big myth out there and I've had, Lots of my friends tell me, man, I wish I had a place I could move one only like that. Oh, well, yeah. you can do it. You yeah. can do it. You could do it on your deer lease. And and, and I'm a prime example. You know, uh, sometimes I get my limited deer. Sometimes I don't, you know. Uh, yeah. But the ones I do get, I'm surely proud of them. 
you know. Well, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of my favorite, one of my favorite things that anybody's ever said on this podcast. I, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Mike Ellis talking about, it was the podcast about it's never too late to start. All right. He's like 42 right. years old. He started bow hunting a year or two ago. And, um, he said the human brain is always looking for a reason as to why it's disadvantaged. Okay. Right. And, yep. and, and when you say some bullshit comment, like, Oh, it must be nice to hunt an expensive lease or, you know, must be nice to have family property or, you know, wish I had the money to buy a new bow every year. I'm not rich like you. You, what you're really doing is you're putting down somebody else because you can't provide something for yourself or you don't think you're capable of do something on your own. The reality is, is none of us came into this world with a bank account full of money. You know, none of us came into this world, you know, with uh, a bunch of land in our name. It's something that we bought, earned, inherited, or grew into from our family uh, over generations, decades. Most wealth, if you will, is earned within a single generation. It's not inherited. Almost like 85% of millionaires in the world come from single generational wealth. It comes from a regimented business and educational back, strong educational background and um, trying to build something from scratch and hoping you have something substantial towards the end of your life. Okay. And so when people say bullshit comments like that, it gets under my skin because I can tell you right now, if I wanted to go buy into a deer lease, I could, but you know what? I'd rather paddle my fat ass through public land and kill two (laughs) deer on new year's day, 50 yards from, from the private property line, um, where there's, you know, guys feeding and food plots and all that stuff. I'd rather, I would rather push myself into the shit corner of public land and be successful than be on a $5,000 a year lease feeding and shooting one eighties and taking a picture, you know, just to say I did it. You know what I mean? That's, I agree. So, you know, when, when, when you say that, you know, you get more out of it or that's why we do it. I believe something. I believe that bow hunters are elitists. I do. I need to clarify that. That doesn't mean that we're a bunch of arrogant assholes. Okay. You don't need to be ugly about it, but the fact that we're bow hunting and the fact that we're making a conscious decision and the fact that we're putting in extra effort to do something that every single person that does it or is even near it knows is more difficult than sitting in a box stand or shooting something at 200 yards away that sure. by definition makes you an elitist the same way a fly fisherman or a kayak fisherman is an elitist. And it isn't because you're better than somebody else. It's because you try to do something in a more difficult manner for a greater level of personal satisfaction. Okay. You know, I know a lot of people listening, gun hunt and bow hunt and, or they hunt the seasons, whatever it could be primitive weapon. They're going to hunt primitive weapon and it could be uh, rifle season. They'll hunt rifle season. And, you know, for me, like I said, at the very beginning of this episode, rifle hunting doesn't do anything for me. When I say that, I don't mean in any way, shape or form, it shouldn't do anything for you. For you. If exactly. it does That's something exactly for you, yeah. if it does something for you, I'm kind of excited for you because you get the thrill of killing a deer spread out over more ways to do it than I do. 
Okay. Right. At this point in time, I only get a thrill of killing something under 20 yards and sometimes with a traditional bow. You know, yep. I mean, I got to tell you, I was more pumped to kill that that donkey of a doe on Tuesday than I was to kill that eight point at 35 yards. That was like textbook shooting a paper target shooting that buck. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean I didn't get excited about it. But what it does mean is that that is a story I'll have forever. You know, sure. how often are yep. you in a situation where you have picked the day you picked the ridge you picked the tree you had the wind to your advantage you killed two deer and you haul them out in a piro man take a picture and put that on the wall and tell your kids yeah about that's it. pretty pretty cool evening there yeah and and so and to do it on public land and to do it on new year's day and just you know and 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 how uh, you know, my day didn't start like I want. It wasn't a picture perfect day. You know, I didn't get to get out in the woods at 4 a.m. like I wanted. Um, I didn't go in until 11. And so, um, if you ever notice some of those, some of those days like that, I found it's it's almost like the ones that start out crappy like that usually end up good. They something, you're something, exactly something happens. right. It yeah. happens to me all the time, especially hunting. You know, in hunting situations, it's like so like you said, you have a a day at work where I thought, you know, okay, man, I wanted to, you know, make a hunt this morning, but I couldn't because a job came up or what have you. Yeah. Some family issues or whatever, uh, obligations. And then the next time you get to go, it's almost like you're rewarded, you know, yeah, for what you had to do. It's, it's like, uh, uh, that happens to me pretty often. Seems like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the last buck that I killed before that, which, um, you know, I did a little, a little live video or, or, or a immediate follow up after shooting it. That morning, it was supposed to rain, starting at, at like eight or eight fifteen in the morning. And when I woke up at uh, when I woke up at four thirty, and I checked my uh, forecast again, the rain got pushed back to eleven thirty, and I I almost didn't go. I I remember I hit snooze twice, which I never do when I wake up for hunts. I was just tired, and um. And I checked the forecast and I, I got out of bed and I reluctantly climbed in the stand. And an hour later, that nice eight point walked out and I shot him. And uh, y- you're right. That wasn't that wasn't a perfect scenario morning. I had highly debated going. And that's not like me. If I say I'm going hunting tomorrow, I'm, I'm going hunting tomorrow. Um, and because I'm not wishy washy on that stuff at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, with, with how few days I have to hunt these days, I'm going, you right. know, I understand that. Yep. So, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, back to the, the whole elitist topic, you can be an elitist, meaning you can do something in a way and feel in which you feel maybe you feel you have the most gratification out of it. And maybe, maybe you even feel like um, you want the people around you to have that level of gratification, you know, no doubt. No Be, doubt. you know, being an elitist doesn't mean that you feel like you're better than other people. It, it, the other side of that leaf is you wanting other people to be able to feel what you're feeling when you do it your way. You know, you almost feel like other people aren't getting as much satisfaction as you are. But but then again, like we learned about the, you know, Warren Womack and and other people getting pumped up about shooting a deer with a rifle. Everybody's different. Everybody yeah, gets everybody's it. wired different. There's no doubt. Everybody you know, is. And another thing I was, you know, thinking about, I have a lot of guys tell me, well, man, what, what about if that if that buck of a lifetime, that 150 to 160 walks out at, at 60 yards and you just can't shoot him? 
Well, that's happened. It's happened to me several times. And I'm sitting up there with a, with a, with a bow, you know, uh, and it's firearm season. You got to be willing to sacrifice that. You know, you got to just say, well, that's part of bow hunting. Yeah. You, know, you can't, you got to, you just got to be willing to accept that. It's happened to me once this year already. You know, um, you know, I think, I think the first morning I actually hunted this year, uh, I've only got to hunt a few times. That's another thing talking about th- the way the things don't go your way. Normally I hunt a lot. I hunt more than the average person. He will tell you that. Yeah. But this year, believe it or not, at 52 years old, I have a six week old baby girl. <laughs> That's uh, incredible, which is man. highly unusual, but it, but it's happened. Yeah. So anyway, I haven't got to hunt very much at all. Matter of fact, I think this afternoon was, was the eighth time I've been in a tree, mm-hmm. which is maybe a lot for some people, but it's not much for me. Uh, and that's from, that's from October 1st until now. I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you something funny. Um, do you remember last year, uh, early December when it snowed and it stuck, yeah. you know, Baton yeah. Rouge, Clinton, it snowed. And, we, and when I say snowed, I mean, we, we got like four inches, right? Yep. Um, so my daughter was born in the middle of that snowstorm at, at really? women's hospital. Yeah. It was December 8th. Um, we went on, De- we went in on December 7th and then, um, she decided that she wanted to wait for the snowstorm and she came out around 5am <laughs> seven, five, I can't remember five or 6am on the 8th. And she, I mean, a Louisiana baby born in the middle of a four inch snowstorm in Baton Rouge. I mean, how, how Hallelujah. unbelievable is that? Right. And, um, everybody listening that has kids, uh, especially the guys listening, um, you feel pretty worthless at that point in time because, uh, you, you, the nurse takes care of everything medical. Um, you aren't at home. So there's not a lot of like, uh, domestic things you can help with like the dishes or diapers or, you know, or, or, you know, cooking dinner, you know, you're in a hospital room, where you're literally paying nurses to take care of your wife that just had your baby, but the baby only wants mom because you don't possess any of the things the baby needs right now. And so you like it's you feel like a third wheel, especially on your first kid, right? Yeah, you, you're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know? And and so for me, I'm so fidgety. But on the flip side, you better be there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's where I'm going. So for yeah. me, I'm so fidgety and ADD that I can't I can't not be doing something. Okay. And so after like, you know, our daughter was born in the morning by about lunchtime, uh, I was starting to become a nuisance because I was kind of just pacing around the room. I'm not good at just sitting still and just being, I I'm have to be doing something. And my wife looked at me and she goes, you need to leave. You need to go hunting or something. I can't deal with you like this. And, (laughs) and I was like, uh, what do you mean? She goes, you're driving me crazy. Go hunting, get out of here. And so twelve, I was like, "Are you? Is this a test? Uh, because I will <laughs> I fail be this. Fail it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will fail this test." And so <laughs> December eighth, uh, middle of snow, or it stopped snowing, but snow all over the ground. My wife kicks me out of the hospital room and uh, tells me I need to go deer hunting and get it out of my system. Um, and so I went deer hunting. I was only gone for like four hours. And then I came back to the hospital all in camouflage, right? My boots and everything. And the nurses are looking at me like, I can't believe you actually went hunting. And my wife is like, he had to go. He was driving me crazy, right? And so I went deer hunting 
the day my daughter was born. Okay, I don't know how many people can say that, and I did it without getting in trouble. I can't. I'm not. I I can't say that I did for sure. Oh yeah, I did, and and look, it was my first kid. Is my first kid. Uh, love her to death, love my wife to death. But if, if, if anybody out there knows me, you know, I, I'm not good at just being in a room, not having any responsibility. I'm not good at that, yeah. you know? Right. Um, and so she kicked me out and told me to go deer hunting. And hey, the only thing that could have made it better is if I killed something and I didn't, but yeah, that'd have been good. That'd yeah. have been a good deal there. That'd yep. have been a fun one. Well, I hadn't, I haven't been able to go this year. Like, you know, like I normally do, but I, when I, my point being, I think this afternoon was my eighth day, you know, the eighth sit in a stand. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first the first time I got in a tree this year, I mean, I didn't get to go opening day. Uh, my wife was bedridden, but she also had some pregnancy problems at the end of the pregnancy, so I had to stay at home a good bit. I didn't get to go. I think the season opened on like a Monday or a Tuesday. I didn't get to go till that first Friday evening. Yeah. And uh, – my first evening, I killed a 140-inch 10-point. Goodness gracious. Belt, you know, so I was like, you know, ecstatic. I was like, man, this, and I, and look, my prayer was, you know, believe it or not, as selfish as it was, uh, God, please send me a buck before this baby's born, because I know I'm not going to be able to hunt much, you know, before, <laughs> after the baby's born. Yeah. And, and, and that didn't, and so I shot that deer. The next time I got to go was about two weeks later, uh, and I went and got in a tree, and I killed a doe, and then a coyote come through, and I and I killed it. Nice. So, so that's two hunts, you know. And I've, I've killed a nice buck, and then the doe, and then then the coyote. And uh, so I was like, man, this can't get any better. Well, I got to go maybe a time or two since then, and then or between that hunt and the next one, and then right before Christmas was the next time I got to go. And I wasn't in a tree. I didn't have my bow pulled up yet. And here come two bucks, dog and a doe. Mm. And uh, I wanted to kill the bigger one, but the but the second one got in my personal space, <laughs> and he he got it. He got it first. So uh, you know, so that's a so hell that of a season done. for a couple. So yeah, couple so then, of six. So, yeah, and then this afternoon was the next time I've got to go, and. Uh, and I did see two bucks this afternoon. I just chose not to shoot them, you know? Nice. Um, so I've had a great year. I mean, just even though I hadn't got to go very much, uh, the good Lord has blessed me with, you know, with some opportunities, uh, you know, just about each hunt I've been on. That's great. So, That's great, Glenn. I'm glad, glad you're having a good season, even with your, uh, you know, lack of, uh, time to go hunting, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So it's been a, it's been a blessed year, but you know, uh, but getting back to the, you know, the bow hunting on with, with people with firearms around you, it's, it's a, it's a mindset, you know, like, like we were talking earlier, a lot of guys, you know, what if I see this deer out there, 70, 80 yards, this and that, that's something you have to make up your mind that you can deal with. You yeah. Know? And if you can't deal with that, then you just don't bow hunt, you yeah, know, yeah. because it's part, it's part of it. I mean, it's going to happen. Well, and, you, um, you know, the other thing is that, um, like we said earlier, you're you're generally not going to run into uh, a rifle hunter in a bow hunting spot, you know. No, you're um, not. And, right. and so, in in a sense, the rifle hunters are hunting where you wouldn't hunt anyway. 
Um, so it's in my mind, it's not really that much of a threat, and it doesn't make things a whole lot different. The only thing, the only thing that it really changes potentially is the pressure and the amount of people that are in the woods, and more importantly, the way that they come into the woods. You know, um, right. they right. they uh, you know one of the biggest part of boat parts of bow hunting is. Um, how much consideration we have to put into every move and, and hunt and approach and ha- where we hang our stands and what direction the wind's blowing and all that stuff. And so we can't just, you know, whimsically throw some camo on and walk in the woods and, and expect yeah, jump it. up in a box stand. And, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen like that. And so, you know, we're so deliberate. We're so strategic in how we do everything. And, and if you're not, you should be. Um, and well, that's the fun part of it to me. One a, a part of the fun is to, okay, everybody else has been going down this road and getting in this box stand and we're hunting in this ladder stand on this ridge. I got to stand in the next bottom over here. I'm going to come in from, from the downwind side mm-hmm. up this Creek, you know, and, and sometimes I walk, you know, up to a mile out of my way to go yeah. to have a better approach, you know, to, to not cross any trails that I think the deer might be coming from. Uh, whereas a gun hunter, he just doesn't care about all that normally, you know, he just, yeah. that, 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 that doesn't cross his mind. But for me, that's, that's a big part of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think maybe being on a, on a rifle lease or a rifle club uh, and being the only bow hunter or maybe the only bow hunter that hunts you around it, you know, as long as you have the freedom to set your stands where you want and you're not pigeonholed into rifle hunting stands, um, right. uh, then, you know, it really shouldn't be any different than, than hunting anywhere else. Um, because you're, you're probably not going to have a guy with a 270 or 300 wind mag trying to sit on an oak bottom with only a 50 yard uh, shot. Okay, right. they 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 they're not buying that gun because they like shooting something a hundred yards and under, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Um, no doubt. So, you know, um, if 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 anybody's listening, you have anything that that you'd like to add, or or um, you know, some of your own personal experiences of maybe overcoming the obstacles of making the con- conversion to bow hunting in a rifle club or whatever, you know, get on Louisiana bow hunter community start a topic say hey this is my experience listen to this week's podcast we'd love to talk about that stuff we'd love to we'd love to hear some other people's experiences because um you know getting people's feedback on these episodes and and having people um say you know i think i said before i don't care if you like the episode or not or i'm not looking for i'm not certainly not fishing for compliments um, but what is cool to receive is people saying, Hey, that episode really opened my eyes to this thing, you know, or, Hey, thanks for that tip. I'm going to try it tomorrow, you know, sure. or, um, actually some of the, some of the best feedback I've ever gotten was actually on, uh, the swamp hunting episode with Greg Gravois. I had no less than five people either email PM or send us a personal message or whatever saying, that was my favorite episode because everything that he said, I've been struggling with my whole life. And even though I might not have all the answers to the test, I feel a little less lonely going through this struggle every year. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, that's right. So, well, um, if anybody has any questions about bow hunting on a, you know, on a rifle lease, I'll be glad to answer them. You know, it, it, it's get in touch with me through you, you know, and, and, uh, I know we didn't cover everything. There's a lot of other things we could cover. 
yeah we'll do it another at another time but yeah absolutely like i said it, you know it's just it's just a it's just a mindset uh and it's not for everybody that's that's for certain um you know but there's uh there there's a lot more to it than what we talked about you know there's nothing's really coming to mind right now but yeah like i said if anybody has any questions feel free to ask you know well perfect uh, yeah well let's let's finish it up uh glenn i uh i i appreciate you being on the show tonight and and kind of sharing your experiences and your your hunting stories and whatnot um and uh you know i hope i get to meet you soon um sure and sure. uh if if you if you uh are able to get out in the woods anymore hope you have a good rest of the season and, yeah i'm uh, gonna go my, my wife gave me a little yard pass for the weekend so i'm gonna, I'm gonna get back over them again tomorrow get, get back after them you know so, perfect. Uh, and see what happens well good luck we so. we got some good weather tomorrow it's supposed to be in the 30s and the highs in the 40s hard wind all day i think it's out of the west um yeah know. and you know that's something's been so unusual i was talking to some other guys about this year when have we ever had west wind we so yeah often? it's a great point we i uh, have not had a single east wind actually we had an east wind opening morning only the thing that's really strange for me is that it's really worked in my favor on a couple of my sets and the places i like to hunt um, yeah. I don't know about you, but, uh, an East wind messes me up most places. Um, and, and it's, uh, you know what I think it is? I'm right-handed. So West wind comes from my left, which means that yeah. I can set my stand facing North and shoot to my West and be, have the wind to my advantage, you know? So if I can come in from the East heading West, set up a stand and shoot to my West also, then I'm always kind of on a west wind, I'm always got uh, new ground in front of me that I haven't, um, I haven't messed up yet, if you will. Um, right. So, I, I I don't hate it. I'll tell you that much. Um, well, the, the west winds for me, just about all my stands. A lot of places where I hunt, I have two stands. I have a, a set for a, a south, you know, a south wind, any type of south wind or north wind. Mm-hmm. So a lot of places, a lot of trails, a lot of creek crossings, a lot of transition areas, I have two stands set up on, you know, one for each wind. Yeah. And they may be 50 to 75 yards apart, and some of them are only 20 yards apart, but just the way it, it, it lays out. But I have nothing set up for a west wind, nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been yeah. terrible, yeah. you know. And uh, this afternoon where I went, it was, I just got lucky that the deer didn't well one of the bucks did win me once it got downwind of me. He just came from the right direction. But I just got lucky because that's not what, you know, I just went there because I didn't have anything else even set up for for a west wind. So I was like, well, that's the closest one I got. So yeah. I went to it, and and and, uh, and I could have shot the deer if I wanted to but uh, before, he, before, he, before he winded me. But well, like I said, I, I've never in all my life of hunting never seen so many west winds in one year. Like, I, I, very I agree. I agree with you 100%. I'm glad you said that. Well, tomorrow yeah. tomorrow morning, um, I'm hunting the same stand that uh, I, I killed my double out of last Tuesday. Uh, I usually wouldn't leave a stand that much, but it's been raining so much Wednesday, Thursday, and then the first half of Friday. It's been raining so much that I don't think anybody else has even been back to that spot, even if they wanted to scout yeah. it. Um, right. And if they did, it was this afternoon, and if somebody stole my stand this afternoon then it sucks to be me 
Um, <laughs> but I did, you know, I did take, you know, I'm hunting, um, I'm hunting a big, uh, Tupelo tree, which is about four feet around at the bottom and about 18 inches yeah, around at the top. And so I took my top, I took my bottom stick out and I use a cheater step. So my second stick is like 10 feet up. Uh, and there's no way to get a climbing stand around the base of this tree to get up to my next step to, to steal everything. So, you know, I say that with my fingers crossed, but, um, this West wind, it does screw up my, uh, 12 to three o'clock. It screws up my right side hunting this ridge. Cause that, that ridge is, uh, east to west. And, um, it does screw up the right side of my set. But I still have the other probably sixty to seventy five percent of my twelve o'clock all the way to nine o'clock my left that is wide open. I got CRP, I got palmettos, I've got that oak flat, and so I do have a little bit that's going to be ruined by my wind, but it's not detrimental. Um, and what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to even though I don't have to, I don't have to set up a stand in the morning, I'm going to get up in the stand probably around five fifteen or five thirty, and be in there definitely before first light and hope to catch something slipping by either going into or out of the CRP. Um, there you go. And, uh, and, and hopefully catch something moving. So, yeah, I'll do the same thing tomorrow morning. I got where I think I'm gonna go tomorrow morning is, uh, I got some neighbors that, that, you know, they, I set up real early in there, like I said earlier, and they hopefully with them moving around over there, but, if they do spook anything, it should come by me, you know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And then, and then, and and then it's just a good transition area, also, you know, from from a cutover and in, in, into a thicket that that or, or a new cutover, I should say. Yeah. Uh, into a thicket where the deer bed, trying to catch them and get back in there before they bed up, you know. But uh, but it's not ideal for a west wind, so I'm hoping it'll kind of get more out of the north. But if it doesn't, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well good luck uh, to you glenn it was good talking okay. to you to, yeah, uh, same here, tonight same and, and uh look forward to talking to you again soon all right all right buddy have a good night you too thank you for listening to this week's episode of the louisiana bowhunter podcast if you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast send us an email at info at com, or give us some feedback on our new facebook group called louisiana bowhunter community we'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes what you like and dislike about it and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future a huge shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast cousin smokehouse and steve german's taxidermy art we could not put this on without you so thank you so much for your support we'll see y'all next week